bitch. Uh, I, I have a lot to say, and I don't, how mu- don't know how much time which I have to say. You give me an hour. Ooh. Thank you. Did you all know you were giving me an hour? High schoolers, are you here? Well, <laughs> yeah, physically, right? Would you please raise your hands? I'm not going to ask you to stand up and be counted. Good, good. That makes me so very happy. Uh, we, this morning, are not going to be uh, looking at, in the, for the purpose of analyzing and applying and laying groundwork and principles of God's Word, looking at God's Word in that sense, uh, because we've done that. And I would like to spend the bulk of the hour this morning talking about the practical application of all that we've thought about in God's Word, what we've learned, learned again from God's Word, so that we're ready to take it with us and then take it to the streets. You want me to break into my Doobie Brothers rendition? No, forget that. Uh, as, we, as we go, as his witnesses. The high schoolers keep on looking at it. Doobie Brothers, where did he come up with this stuff? Uh, but but there's, I, have, I, I have a sequence here. I even jotted it down because there's an order of things which I would like to say this morning and I, and I need to refer to my notes just to remember what they are. First of all, a word of thanks. I said I had it for later when the, my prepared comments. A word of thanks. Thank you from Dave Crum, on behalf of my family, the Crumbs, for family camp. Thank you for inviting me to be your speaker. Thank you for inviting us to be here. And I just don't say this lightly or in any perfunctory or obligatory way. Things like this, activities such as family camp, really are the warp and woof of the life of the crumbs throughout the years. I said this to you when I started. Remember when I was talking about Dave Crumb Redneck? What could I be added to my bio that you don't already know? But, but I want to reiterate the fact. And, and I think I did through slides last night. But you remember, those who have been here 18 years, uh, that you had this kid out of seminary, wet behind the ears, uh, uh, full of ignorance, but ready to go. And you called me, and you trained me through an internship, and you prepared me, and then you licensed me to preach the gospel. Then you ordained me, and you sent me. This has, I mean, we are yours, and you are ours. So when you're saying, you know, thanks, Dave Crumb, for this week, or whatever it might be, what you're really doing to God's glory is thanking yourselves. And aren't we all thankful in our hearts for the wonderful opportunity to be part of his church that we might be salt and light so that we can say, not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to thy name be the glory. And that is the refrain of God's people throughout the years. So I uh, wanted to make sure uh, to uh, express my gratitude, my deep and abiding and heartfelt gratitude for all that this presbytery has been to the crumbs over the years. Now I am, you remember, there's no crying in baseball. I'm going to get through this and there won't be any tears. Uh, because the bulk of the family is here. Uh, there will, however, be a baseball... Ooh, I can't say that. In closing, thanking you, I really feel that I am uniquely qualified to stand and to quote the immortal words of John Calvin and to quote them from memory. Today, I consider myself the luckiest man on the face of the earth. I'll bet, <laughs> I'll bet you never knew that John Calvin played baseball 
for the New York Yankees. <laughs> All righty. Now, moving right along. It was it's come up in conversation this morning a couple of sayings, dichos. Mexicans are known for their dichos, their sayings. Uh, they, they work them right into every conversation. You always hear at some point uh, that the conversation peppered with, uh, as we say in Mexico. Oh, well, the Americans have quite a few sayings, and some sayings are worldwide. Nowadays, we can keep, uh, bring sayings from here and there. And I've heard a few sayings, even one this morning. And sayings outside of Scripture are car- kind of like uh, fish, are they not? There's uh, eating fish. You, you have some meat and some good, but there's a lot of bones in it too, which you wouldn't accept because when it comes under the scrutiny of God's Word, it, ju- it just ain't so. But uh, uh, these sayings, I think, that I'm going to try to remember now are, are somewhat like that. For instance, I, w- I heard from Don Buchanan this morning a saying which is kind of like but different than... Where was it from, Don? What country? Where are you, Don? Probably went out with the young... So I'll have to remember it. I forget what country he was in where he heard this, but uh, the saying was, he who laughs last, he who laughs last, lasts. Boy, talk about a tongue twister. He who laughs last, lasts. And, uh, and I think what you're saying there is, laugh and the world laughs with you. Cry and you cry alone. Now, for that American saying, laugh and the world laughs with you, cry and you cry alone, uh, we know that's one of those things like eating fish. Right? There's something to be said there, but there's some bones in there too, because the Christian knows wonderfully into God's glory that when we cry, we don't cry alone. We weep with those who weep. When we laugh and rejoice, we don't laugh alone. We rejoice for what the God is doing in others, another individual, another family. So there's truth in that, but there's also fiction or falsehood. Um, however, there's a third one along the same lines, and I think you all know it well. And it says, He who laughs last laughs best. And that's what I'm getting at with all this. Because I suggest that those who were involved in the skit last night... (laughs) Yeah, you better believe I'm looking in your direction. ...should have considered the fact that I have access to the last word. (laughs) And because I have the last word and some time to think about what I want to say and how I want to say it, perhaps... I will, laugh last, I will laugh best since I laugh last. Boy, I probably shouldn't have worked in the other one there. First of all, let's take them in the order in which they appeared. <laughs> to my dear friend and fellow minister, Alan Pontier. <laughs> I want it said today for the record that the Reverend Robert Atwell never said, do you, Jane, take this man to be your lawfully wedded husband, blah, 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 until death do you part, which in his case, till death do you part, which in his case might not be too long. <laughs> Although that was a good line. Rather, what Bob Atwell did say 10 days after June 3, 1978, when on the occasion my sister, Judy Anderson, invited the returned from their honeymoon, Dave and Jane, Bob and Betty Atwell, and my mom and my dad, to dinner. And we had a dinner together. Reverend Atwell said, and I quote, 
<clears throat> just for the record, never in all my years of ministry, for all the marriage counseling that I've done and all the marriages that I've performed, never in all my years of ministry have I seen one honeymoon do so much for one man. <laughs> And while I'm getting out of sequence a little bit, I can also say that I recovered sufficient... Oh, he said, Dave, you went away white and pale and sickly and you come back tan and robust and strong. <laughs> and I want you to know that I carried her across the threshold <laughs> of the little apartment... In Allentown, Pennsylvania, the wall, bathroom walls of which were fixed, she did not carry me. <laughs> to Christopher Verdick. <laughs> Two things. You've got to do something about that hair. <laughs> Second thing. Although it is true that I couldn't wait to get out of that monkey suit that day, at least I looked good in it while I was wearing it. Yeah, yeah. People were asking me and saying, mentioning on the way back to the cabin last night, uh, Dave, we were looking at you the whole time to see how you would take this. Will Dave be offended? Will Dave, you know, will Dave be upset? Of course, those people, you know, probably don't know Dave all that well, do they? I, I put up with this for the entirety of the two weeks with Team Baja the whole time. I was a little surprised that I had to come to family camp to get more of the same. Uh, but really, the question wasn't, how's Dave taking this, right? The question was, how's Jane taking this? I mean, come on. Therefore, to John... Sanchez. Oh, there he is, there he is. Yeah. To John Sanchez, I've got one little thing for you, and it's a paraphrase of something that was said by a well-known, well well, at least for a short while he was. It was a man who would have been vice president. So I say this to you, John Sanchez. John, I was around in 1978. I knew Jane Turner. And I know Jane Crumb. And believe me, John... You ain't Jane. <laughs> and last, and certainly not least, to my son, <laughs> Michael. Your last line was, and oh yes, Dad, by the way, now we're even. <laughs> no, no. I only have this to say. I'll be the judge of that. <laughs> you. you said, Michael, that... Dad, the moral of the story is you've got to be careful what you say. Don't tell stories because you might get slammed. 
and, 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 and in a sense, transitioning from, from comedy. And, and thank you very much. That was a wonderful skit and really well done. Please, somebody, get the tape and destroy the tape. <laughs> but seriously, about telling such stories, uh, I think uh, you can say yes and amen, and, uh, and we would all agree uh, that much better men than I have told stories uh, at, at their own expense. We have, for instance, in Holy Scripture, such a story of a man who had to recognize a cause of shame and set it aside. We have in heaven a brother in the faith who is worshipping the triune God, the one who is seated on the throne and the Lamb, though he lived many years before the Christ came. We have a brother of ours, and his name is Jonah. Jonah, dost thou well to be angry? Jonah, what's your problem? Your concern is for this plant that was giving you a respite, a shadow, shade, for a time that wasn't here yesterday that I caused to grow and that I, then I caused to wither. You're concerned about a measly plant. Should you not be concerned for that great city, Nineveh, filled with so much need, people who don't know their right hand from their, le- from their left. People ask me, Dave, what about Jonah? Whatever happened? Why, is it, why does it end that way? Did Jonah repent? We know that Jonah repented because never would he have written such a frank and honest admission of his own sin had he not repented of it and wanted us to do the same. There are occasions throughout Scripture where God, through his Holy Spirit, gives us this, this wonderful uh, mosaic and understanding, but he does so specifically through, through um, those who are kind of uh, unknown figures. They're not, we don't know the whole story. It kind of leaves it open. And we speculate a little bit. For instance, Jonah. And I ask myself, wh- why does God use that method in revealing to us his will for our salvation and than our growth in grace. And I would suggest to you, t- to you today that the reason that the Word of God works this way is because they want to see us, God wants us to see ourselves in such men. What about the three wannabe disciples of Luke, the ninth chapter? Remember Luke, you had your personal devotional, family devotions and quiet times in Luke 8. As you read through, and many of you have done this, you know Luke 9 is the turning point in the chronology, the history of the ministry of Christ. Therein, the verse where, where it says that our Lord Jesus Christ set his face like flint toward Jerusalem. That purpose for which he came and from which he would not be dissuaded. And then along that road, which road? The road to Calvary. That three wannabe disciples, he kind of called out quickly. And, 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 the, uh, and the ninth chapter of Luke comes to an end and we don't really know. Whatever happened to them? Did they hear the call to discipleship? Did they heed the call to discipleship? We don't know. 
We're not allowed to say definitively something about which the scripture does not say. But I like to think that we will see one or more of the three wannabes in heaven. The rich young ruler. He went away sad. Did the Lord of glory and graciousness, the one who the scripture records looked at him and loved him, later, through the spirit-wrought conviction of sin, break that heart and turn his sadness into joy and his mourning into dancing? There's a lot of theological speculation about that, by the way, and, and we won't get into it this morning, even specific names, who that man might have been. And I don't know, but I think that in glory we will be surprised by wonderful stories where the, we find out the answer is yes, that they are there amongst the number of the redeemed. But the point is that I sense that God wants us to see ourselves in those shadowy characters or some, somebody that we would not know exactly how the story ended so that we can then recognizing this weakness perhaps in the case of Jonah and also the remedy for such a weakness. We can be unashamed. We can be compassionate, Jonah, which who wasn't, and we can go forth and heed the command of the one who calls us and bids us to come. What time did I start, Bill? I forgot to set... A definition of evangelism, you have a much more fully developed definition, the one from J.I. Packer. And uh, that's the one I want you to go with. Uh, But remember, there's an easier one behind it. A definition of, of evangelism is the proclamation of the gospel, the announcement of the gospel. And that's important because we would learn from that that it is our goal, it is our job description as witnesses to announce or to declare those things we know. Therefore, the importance of a personal testimony that we can say, I once was blind, but now I see. Not only a personal testimony, but the testimony of God's word that we can share uh, that more important, as you, uh, if you will, testimony of the Word of God as we grow in our knowledge and understanding of God's Word. And again, as we trust that the very thing we studied this morning in our in devotionals, if we're looking for those opportunities, God will bring us an opportunity to use that in witness throughout this day. At the same time, we don't merely announce. It's freeing to know that that's the basic essence of our evangelism. We announce. And we are not under any obligation regarding the results. We are seed sowers. And we are to sow the seed liberally. But it is the Lord God who alone can and does give the increase. Paul talks about this. And that's why it was freeing for Paul that he would sow and another man would come along and water. But it's the Lord who gives the increase. And we can rejoice in that. And when God is pleased to say no, or at least in the short run, we don't know how long it will be with regarding to this person to whom we have been witnessing and for whom we have been praying. We can rest in the knowledge of the fact that it's, that, that, it, that it's not our task to bring fruit from the teaching of that gospel, the preaching of it, the sharing of the word, our evangelism. That's in the Lord's hand. And it's very freeing to know that our, our uh, duty, our job description is to, to announce, to be witnesses, and then leave the results in the hands of the Lord. At the same time, there is an element... Uh, where we are to be persuasive. God's word tells us so. 
uh, is, is more than just kind of a superficial, unattached, uh, cavalier, just telling people and, and staying uh, out of their lives and, and, and putting a barrier or distance between us and them. And that's what I've been uh, hoping that we would see from God's word throughout the week. So I will just quickly read Second uh, Corinthians chapter 5, a very well-known section of God's word regarding the nature of that great reconciliation that God has won and brought for his people and then how it is that we respond. Turning your Bibles with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Starting at verse 11, reading to the end of the verse. Since then, we know what it is to fear the Lord. We try to persuade men. What we are is plain to God, and I hope it is also plain to your conscience. We are not trying to commend ourselves again to you, but are giving you an opportunity to take pride in us so that you can answer those who take pride in what is seen rather than in what is in the heart. If we are out of our mind, it is for the sake of God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who knew no sin to become... I'm quoting from another version, sorry. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Thus far the reading of God's word. We're going to close our time in prayer uh, today. So I'm going to postpone until such time as my remarks are finished and, uh, and close in prayer. There will also be a time for question and answers. Uh, we have a session. Uh, that's what I was referring to. And the break, uh, so at, at the end of this half hour, uh, we'll, we'll break. Good. Okay. Uh, I want I want to uh, say that uh, from a well quoting or paraphrasing or perhaps redirecting the uh, the words of a of a professor of mine back in Philadelphia. Many of you know the man, um, Dr. Claire Davis, church history professor in Philadelphia, and uh, and his method in teaching and his style and his winsomeness when he does teach, but with that gleam, the sparkle that was always in his eye. Uh, but he used to say to 
his class, although I don't know what this had to do with church history, but he used to say that, you know, when all is said and done, you can pretty much take all of uh, Paul's epistles and boil it down to a two-point outline. Perhaps some of you have heard this. It pretty much comes down to two points as you go through the Pauline epistles. One of the points, points, uh, one of the points point A, would be what you are doing is good. And then point B would be do more. You know, I thought about that, and yeah, it's just pretty much true. Paul would commend the churches as he was writing to them in, in the epistles and say, you know, what you're doing is good. Keep it up. And then point B, do more. And I'd like to adapt and apply that to our session this morning as we close, that we can be an encouragement one to another because I really think this is the case with regard to missions, evangelism, corporate as the church, and individual. Uh, what we have done, we have done largely together. That's what I wanted to show to you in the slideshow last night. Also, what I have seen as I observe the churches that send me, uh, the regional church that sends me, enables me to say, what you are doing is good. It's wonderful. To the glory of God, I want to commend you and say, keep it up. And point B would be, do more. There are so many ways wherein we have been encouraged to see the evidence and evidences of a church which has a desire to tackle this problem of evangelism and the 20th century man? Now, 21st century. Weekend Witness. The hands went up last night when I asked, how many have participated in the Weekend Witness? And I could see against the light that was still filtering through the windows in the back that it was a tremendous majority of you. For all the participation that you have uh, shown in coming, but also, many of you have participated in Weekend Witness or in Team Baja or in other aspects of the ministry by not coming. By not coming. And what I mean by that is that you have made it possible that others come. There are families who have watched the little ones of others who have come to Mexico so that, so that the, the parents could come and be involved in our ministry. There are grandparents who have watched grandchildren. Uh, there is example after example where I'm reminded that the weekend witness here participating is just a number, those who are those, uh, visible, those who are able to come. But there's a number, and perhaps a greater number, of those who didn't come and are participating in weekend witness uh, today, this weekend, whenever it might be. And at the risk of embarrassing her, and at the risk of uh, crying myself, there's no crying in baseball. Uh, I would just like to say thanks to one who has participated in so many weekend witnesses. Oh, man, weekends, weekend after weekend, uh, and was never able to come on a weekend witness. But I can't say that anymore because she came last year, and she was part of a weekend witness, and she made tamales with my wife. I would like to thank Tilly Nakla for the godly example that she has been over the years. She uh, has worked so hard for the ministry from... Uh, Los Angeles, from that side of the border. She has worked so faithfully over the years. She has been such an encouragement and an example to us. It's really good to see you here this week, Tilly. I saw you somewhere. I know There you are. Uh, thank you so very much. And to God be the glory. Uh, thanks for giving us George on so many Team Bajas, on so many weekend witnesses. And George comes to our breakfast table this morning and says, and I, it came between Jane and me, so I thought, maybe you want to talk to me. George said, I don't want to talk to you. I want to talk to Jane. <laughs> and, he, and he said, when can we come down? When can Phil and I come down and do something for the Crone family, something that's broken, something that needs to be fixed, 
so we can get ready for the ministry that goes through your home, goes on through your home. And friends, this is just typical George Nagla. Uh, and, and, and it's boys, too. And, it, and, it, and it's Tilly. She's the one working behind the scenes that, that enables her family to come and be involved in the ministry. Now, Tilly might say, Dave. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Yeah, you're doing me a favor. No. <laughs> I'm kidding, George. But, you know, in a sense, I'm surprised to see George here at family camp for the five days. Because if you know him, he just doesn't sit still for five days. He's not good at that. Now, I wouldn't be surprised if there's a list of things that he's fixed in this bathroom or in that kitchen over there while he's been here this five days. You know, you've gotten to know me, perhaps a little too well, this five days. I've gotten to know you over the years. John Verdick. He's the same. Uh, if, when you speak to Trudy and you say, John here, and she goes, oh, no, family camp's not his thing. John likes to rest by working. And he's just constantly on the go, on the go and doing this, that, and the other thing. And yes, John has already hounded me. No, he's lovingly asked me for that date when he can come down and get back to work and be involved in the next aspect of our ministry. And all of this comes together. The Lord orchestrates it all that through the, the, uh, the differing gifts that he has gifted his church so that we can be involved in witness to the world, we do it together as a team. By the way, did you know that both, hey, maybe there's a personality trait here. George Nakla and John Verdick don't use milk on their cereal. <laughs> we'll have to look into that and, uh, and see if there's some connection there. George prefers not cereal at all, but if he has to eat it, he won't, he'll eat it without milk, right? You're going to have to huddle up with John Verdick when you see him and ask what's going on here. What you are doing is good. Keep it up. The Presbytery of Southern California of the Orthodox Presbyterian Church, since I arrived in 1982 and 1983, ordained in 1984, I think, has sent three missionary families to the foreign mission field. I don't know about you all, but that, that seems to be somewhat astounding to me. Tony and Kathleen Curdo, David and Sunshine Aachen, David and Jane Crone. Friends, that's a lot. And we're not to be praised and glorified and pat ourselves on the back. The Lord is. He's enabled us to do that. He tells us to pray that the Lord would raise up laborers. And when we pray believing, he honors that prayer. And remember, the harvest is the Lord's. There are examples throughout the presbytery, and I'm afraid I don't have listed here as many as I would like, examples where, wherein we are doing what we can to create an environment where evangelism can take place. You might well say, Dave, I, I hope that I shouldn't take away from this, that, I, that I'm forced to do something that I just can't do. T to that person, I would say, you're right, I'm not saying that. Because of, again, the nature of the Lord Jesus Christ who is head of the body and equips that body in a, in a manifold way uh, to, to show forth and, and also verbally witness to, uh, to his grace. First uh, Peter, the fourth chapter, verse 10. It might be that uh, speaking is just not your thing and, and you're not real comfortable doing that and you don't consider that to be your gift. And I recognize that it is to, to, to agree a gift. But, and I've heard this again and again, Dave, I'm so glad that you're in Mexico. Uh, don't look for me there. I'll probably never make it. But I'm glad that you're there representing the Orthodox Presbyterian Church, but Jesus Christ. And I will pray for you. And I am praying for you. 
and I will continue to pray for you. Friends, do you not think that Jane and Dave sense that we depend on your prayers for these 18 years? So you do go when you stay and pray. You are actively involved and you can uh, bless the entire ministry in your local congregation or even with your family when you are a prayer warrior for those who go. Uh, the verdicts open their homes every Sunday night after evening worship. And it's, take, it's, it's been given a name. It's called the soup kitchen. The soup kitchen is a place where those who are passing by, they might be visiting from Tijuana, can just kind of come in and unbutton the top button of their shirt collar and relax and grab a bite to eat and talk about things and meet new friends and talk about the worship. And, and it's, it's providing the environment where evangelism does and can take place. A man by the name, a member of our church, has been by the name of Daryl Dalrymple uh, of Bayview Orthodox Presbyterian Church, wanted to write his Christmas news, uh, prayer, uh, news, newsletter to his family. You know how so many of us do that. Prayer letter, newsletter. But he was saying to my sons and I that, uh, he was saying to my sons and me that uh, he want, the Lord put it on his heart to do something different this year. And he wrote, he had this idea of writing his, uh, no, it was Easter, I'm sorry, special edition of his Easter letter, which he usually writes to his friends and family members, the great majority of which are unbelievers, Darryl, Mr. Darrymple, Darrell said to us. He did this time, the Jerusalem Daily Times, special edition, Jesus is alive. And then he kind of thought through all the, the, the biblical data and put it from the perspective of a newspaper, como uh, se, uh, periodista, Journalist, thank you. you. Len, you came up with that? Yeah. Um, journalist, from, that, from his perspective, uh, it, had he been there. And this is so well done. Another example of the things that, that do go on where we keep on coming back to the desire to be used by God in fulfillment of and obedient to the Great Commission. Yes. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, Phil, you, you managed the mic. <laughs> yeah, Daryl Dalrymple sent out that newsletter to his co-workers as well. And I don't know if any of you know Daryl, but he works for a company called Abjet. He's a professional pilot, flies celebrities and other people around the country and other places in the world. Anyway, uh, soon after he sent out that newsletter, there was a tragic crash they may have heard of near Aston, Colorado, killing a couple of his co-workers. And the families were all very touched by the newsletter and really were very moved. So only God will know how he uses it. But it was really a wonderful timing. Bill, thank you so much for that follow-up. You see, we, uh, we look for opportunities. Uh, we sow the seed in faith. And it's the Lord who will use that in ways which are even above and beyond all we can ask or think. Here's a wonderful example and a testimony. We saw one in the slideshow last night. I mean, who would have ever thought that through slingshot evangelism to get back into that area of uh, Veracruz, which is inaccessible by roads, but there's a need, and we've got to get it somehow, that the Lord will bless that to this day, some 25 years later, the little two-year-old will be the pastor of our church in Tijuana. Uh, so what you're doing is good, is so very good. Uh, keep it up. Point two, do more. And I'm just going to close with a couple of suggestions of how it is that we can do more. And I need to be quick here. Uh, some of the practical applications 
that we can uh, uh, incorporate so as we go and take off, we can then take to the streets. One, I, I have four. There are probably others. So you can jot these down if you'd like to. I'll read them slowly and then I'll elaborate just a little bit. One, we've already mentioned this, but I start here. We need to start here. You need to be prayerfully prepared that the Lord would use you. You need to be prayerfully prepared. In a sense, we started with that. Always be prepared to give a reason to anyone who would ask you to give, to give an answer to anyone who would ask you to give the reason for the hope that you have. Always be prepared. Always be ready. You need to be prayerfully prepared also that the Lord would open your eyes that the opportunity is there that very day. And then again, you would probably need to say a quick prayer. Now, Lord, give me courage. Give me recall. Lord, bless me as I speak. You need to be prayerfully prepared. You need to think how it might be that you would answer those, those questions that you're constantly asked. Friends, if you're asked a question over and over and over again, to my mind, that's the Lord's way of saying, you know, Dave, because this has happened to me, wake up here, because you're going to be asked this question. How will you answer this question to, give, to bring glory to me <clears throat> and to witness? What question would the crumbs be constantly asked in the city of Tijuana? Oh, why are you here? Oh, you speak the language. How is it that you speak Spanish? Our being there piques the question. That is to say that just by, just by, by, I don't have to look for opportunities to evangelize. It's one of the neatest things. I've said this to Presbytery before. Wherever I am, in stores, uh, whenever I'm out, out and about, the question comes to me. Now, what answer am I going to give? What brings you here? How is it that you speak the language? Whatever. I could give the pitifully deficient answer and say, I'm involved in church work. Or I could look for the, the, as this as a wonderful opportunity and think through how I would answer. Now, personally, I have two or three different answers, which I've, they're set. They're set. They're pat, but in the sense of they're memorized, so I'll know. And it depends on which shade or variation of the question I'm asked. So I can give glory to God. It might be very succinct. Maybe they'll follow up on that, and then I will go from there to witnessing to my faith. Maybe they won't. Uh, and that is okay, too. We looked at that as we were looking through the commission from the Gospel of Mark. But you need to be prepared to think through what your answer might be in those questions which repeatedly come up in your life, in the daily routine of your life. Another way that came to my mind that we can be prepared, I need to, uh, to think of the vehicle which I, in which I drive, the van, the Presbytery van. Uh, the, we, I have marvelous opportunities to have people in that van who I don't know and who I'm pretty sure don't know the Lord Jesus Christ. And not too long ago, I was crossing the border, and there, as I came into San Diego, there was a young couple in their early 20s, a guy and a gal, and they were together and they were hitchhiking. Well, when, when the thumb is out there, it seems to me that probably something has happened which, which means that this is an urgent need if it's a guy and a gal. And, uh, and the situation is safe. I'm cautious in telling people to pick up hitchhikers, especially in Tijuana. And I'm not saying that you all should uh, in, uh, in uh, opportunities such as this. But it might be that the context is such that you can tell something, uh, is, if everything is fine here, it's a safe opportunity, and you, and you would have that opportunity. But as I pulled over and they saw me, and he and she were running to the van, I thought, now quickly, Lord, I don't know how long they'll be with me, but what can I do? And I had the AM English-speaking radio on, radio station on. Well, clearly the first thing I'm not going to do is leave an English-speaking radio. I'll at least turn the radio off. You need to be prepared and be thinking how it is that I'll take advantage of this opportunity. But I was grateful for the fact that I had a Christian praise tape in the Spanish language right there. So as they were running, I had about 30 seconds, and I uh, turned it off the AM radio station, grabbed the Christian praise tape, put it in the dash, and had the music going when they got in the van. Guess what happened? 
from the two bench seats back. The young man says, are you a Christian? And I said, yes, I am. And then and I said, how did you know? I said, well, I've heard this kind of music before. My brother, I think he said my sister, one of them, uh, plays this, and I, I've heard it. And, uh, and she's a Christian, too. It was my sister. She's a Christian, too. And, and I, I've heard it might even be the same artist. And I said, well, then, friend, you know what your sister would have me do if she knew that you and I were in the same van together? Silence. <laughs> and that silence told me volumes. That silence told me that his sister has talked to him about the Lord Jesus Christ. And I said, are you a Christian? No, I'm not. Now, as it turned out, they were going as far as the next slide. I really only had a couple more minutes. But as we pulled over the van and I took them actually to where they were going and he and she got out, I said, would you consider again that which your sister has shared with you? That is the Lord Jesus Christ that you need. You need his righteousness. You need his perfect life. And you need him as your substitute. You must repent and you must believe in Jesus Christ. And you know what? His, his very shaking of his head and quiet told me that he's heard it all before. But if he doesn't hear it again from me, then you see we're going to have missed that wonderful opportunity. How many of us would raise our hands if we were to say that my coming to Christ was a series of people that you, God used along the road? And I was even, as I mentioned to you in my own testimony, for some time resisting him who is irresistible. <clears throat> But, but we need to be obedient and active in, in being those means that God uses along the road. His timing of salvation is perfect because it is his timing. But, that, but at the same time, somehow, mysteriously, I can't even explain how our great God does this. He brings together all these things so that in, the, in, in, the, in his perfect time, that young man or the gal he was with, his wife, I, I suspect, would come to a saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. You need to be prayerfully prepared for the opportunities that the Lord will give you. Number two, you need a tool. You need a tool for evangelism. Now, I can't belabor this point, and, and, I, and I guess I, perhaps I would suggest by way of, um, by, by way of exhortation uh, and, and that we perhaps fall victim, especially here with regard to gospel tools and gospel presentations, to what we were saying earlier when I was reading that allegory where we analyze the ship and we deduce what's wrong with it. But we're not suggesting that we can perfect it, we can do something better, and, and taking that ship to sea to go fishing. Perhaps we have the, I want to be gentle here, and cautious too, and, and, uh, and not stereotype and then slam a, a straw man, but perhaps we have the tendency to look at all the evangelism tools, evangelism explosion. Um, well, of course, and I think rightly, the four spiritual laws, or the five steps to faith, or Jack Miller's, five things, uh, and I'm going to be referring to them, and point out what's wrong with them, where, but at the same time, we don't ask the question, okay, Dave Crum, or whomever, what will you use? You need to have a tool for an evangelistic encounter. And the reason is, is this, because God will uh, sovereignly in his time give you opportunities to say something where you have somebody who's really genuinely interested. Now, what will I say? in such an occasion. Yes, they're not all that frequent. And in Southern California, I'm looking at Faith because her husband came out to me yesterday because he said, I can't be here tomorrow. But what about the fact that there just don't seem to be that many opportunities for spiritual things, conversations. There, people aren't interested anymore. I, I try and I keep on trying, but, but there's not that, that many occasions where I see a mutual interest. I would say to that, um, what you are doing is so good. Keep it up and then just do more. 
Uh, obviously, David is praying for those opportunities to be a witness verbally. He's involved in all kinds of witness with his hands and diacle ministry. And, uh, and when the Lord is pleased to not give him those conversations, well, the Lord is, is perfectly sovereign in that. And then he will send us opportunities, maybe many of them, maybe few. But the point for now is that when one would come, let's be ready. Let's know what we're going to say. Now, personally, what I use is real simple, five points. It is the evangelism explosion presentation. It's the tool. You might have several tools in your toolkit, but all I'm saying this morning, all I'm asking you to consider is have one at least. Uh, Grace, man, God, Christ, faith. Grace, man, God, Christ, faith. The five points of the evangelism explosion after the diagnostic questions. I consider the second of the two diagnostic questions. Let's say you were to die tonight and you find yourself before the Lord and he were to ask you, why should I allow you into my kingdom, my heaven, my, uh, my glory? Why should I allow you into heaven? What would you say? Frankly, I consider that to be the... I do not know what I would do without that question. I, I, I think it's genius. And I praise God for it. But then from there, we, uh, uh, personally what I have memorized with appropriate uh, Bible texts are, are, are five points. Grace, man, God, Christ, faith. Time will not allow me to, to, to go on from there. And, I, and we probably don't have to. There's subpoints. Uh, underneath each one, and then there's biblical texts which you can memorize uh, for each of those sub-points. There might be areas where we think is deficient, not quite strong enough. Uh, for instance, with faith, uh, saving, uh, saving faith, but it, it doesn't specifically mention repentance and faith. Well, you might want to specifically mention that uh, and adapt the tool and use it your way. There's another one at the back of the book, Powerful Evangelism for the Powerless. And if you don't get the book, you can get uh, this tool, uh, at the website, and if you're taking notes, it's www.whm.org. WHM stands for World Harvest Missions. And this one is uh, entitled A New Life, uh, written by Jack Miller, who was my pastor for several years. The first point, I, I like so much about this one. A loving God has sent his son Jesus into the world to bring you a new and abundant life. Now, maybe some of us will say, upon analysis, that's getting a little bit too close to um, unlimited atonement. That, that I'm saying, in other words, Christ died for you. Well, well, if you think that's getting a little too close there, then, then it seems to me, I can't ask Jack Miller uh, directly, he's with the Lord. But uh, it seems to me you could say, a loving God sent his son Jesus into the world to bring a new and abundant life. Or you could say, a loving God sent his son Jesus into the world to bring such as you, a new and abundant life. Then scripture verses. And then there's a transition, the second one, uh, the second point of the five points of the new life, the new life booklet. The transition is, but why are so many people without this new life? Because people are self-centered. They are self-centered and not God-centered. I like that. Isn't that the essence of man's first sin and all of mankind in Adam? Man has believed, man has chosen to believe, a big lie. <coughs> Selfish independence. The five steps, the five points. The big lie <coughs> expresses itself in self-trust, self-boasting, self-reliance, self-analysis, self-hating, self-seeking. And then, really, the third point analyzes that a bit more. Self-centered man is separated from a holy God by three big barriers. Self-centered man has a bad record, he's got a bad heart, he's got a bad master. Now, my boys will be saying, oh, Dad, well, that's where you got that. They've heard me use that so many times. That's where I got that. You have a bad record, a bad heart, and a bad master with scripture texts supporting each one so that the person can see that his problem is really worse than he thinks it is. It's really a problem which is irremediable. 
apart from God's remedy. God's solution, point four, no barriers because of God's perfect record in the person and work of Jesus Christ. A perfect record, a new heart, and a good master. Instead of the bad record, the bad heart, and the bad master, God has given the solution. No barriers. A perfect record, a new heart, and a good master. And again, there are uh, scripture texts. And then lastly, how to receive the Lord Jesus into your life. You must turn and you must trust. And I like that. That is repentance and faith. But perhaps to the 21st century man, turning and trusting is language which, which, with which he or uh, she might, might resonate more, might understand uh, more uh, easily and readily. My point, there are others. Oh, and, and, and I, asked him, I asked if I could, if he'd bring this, and he did, and I appreciate that. Therefore, if, if uh, you think that maybe for my context where I'm ministering, uh, uh, we, I would take a different approach altogether, that would be wonderful. And I wanted to, to hold up such an approach. My friend and uh, co, co-labor in the ministry, Mark Schroeder, has uh, done such a thing. And I saw it when he was doing it. I said, can I see that? And he was still working on it, uh, perfecting it before it went to print. Uh, to publication, and uh, I said, he said, yes, yeah, sure. And, and this is put in the form of three questions, the three most important questions that one must ask. Why must I be saved? It's the first question. What must I know to be saved? Is the second question. And thirdly, the question of the book of Acts, the question of Acts chapter 2. What must I do to be saved? And here it is in booklet form that you can have all these proof texts uh, at your disposal. And you can know this so well that you can just sit on the bus or whatever with this tool and go through it. But you've already been through it so many times that, that you're ready to explain and answer questions and like. Now, there are other good tools. The tracks that we should have in our possession usually boil down into two types. Actually, three. I've analyzed and looked at many, many tracks over the years. Many of the Christian tracks, and it's not a complaint, but it's an observation, aren't for unbelievers. Have you noticed that? Many of them are written for believers. And that's fine. Uh, new believers, especially, in, in a little tract form, can be reinforced in the faith what the scriptures teach by a well-written tract for believers. I would just uh, point out that, that they're not for unbelievers. It's not really evangelistic tracts you're distributing, but tracts new believers, and that's okay. And besides, God can use that too uh, to bring repentance. But they, that's one category. But amongst the, uh, those that are written specifically with the unbeliever in mind, I find that you have those which are geared towards heaven and the afterlife, uh, question tracks such as Are You Going to Heaven uh, written by John MacArthur and I would recommend this one to you I really like it if you minister amongst Roman Catholics I would recommend this track to you uh, where do we find it Good News Publishers uh, put together by John MacArthur Are You Going to Heaven and then there are others like John Miller's uh, Jack Miller's which are geared more towards not the question of heaven and uh, after, after death judgment and, and the uh, coming life but a new life uh, the life here and now. So Jack Miller's is designed to right now, right here and right now, and uh, John MacArthur's to, is to coming life. Um, the um, Where Will You Spend Eternity was a tract that was written by the well-known preacher that preceded uh, James Boyce, uh, whose name is in Philadelphia. I can't. Thank you. See, I knew, you see, I don't have to know who it is that says these things because you all do so well. Barnhouse. Uh, uh, where will you spend eternity? And it was a sermon that uh, Jim Boyce says that he heard on the radio and that was what the Lord used to bring him to faith in Jesus Christ. I think it was, I think it was Boyce that said that. Anyway, it was, who, uh, sorry? Anyway, details here. But they, but they put it in track form. And this would be another one. There are publishing houses. All that I have here are in Spanish. Uh, I have a selection of the ones I enjoy, I like the most. I find that one of the things about the um, Mount Zion publications is that perhaps... 
some of the language and some of them is a little bit uh, archaic and, um, and you'll need a very serious inquire to go through these. Somebody who says, you know, I really like to know more. Well, you can sit down with them, with them and go through reconciliation, man's greatest need, uh, the great sin of lying. This is a good one. Man the liar. Uh, but they, it requires more effort on the part of the hearer and it will require more of your time, but that's great. And one of my favorites, and uh, I use this all the time, and I would encourage you to know this one and be, be, have it around that you can use it. They're about a buck a piece, so they're well within what we can afford. Come on. You know, we're going to have to ante up here, guys. Uh, it's called, written by John Blanchard. Uh, this is the one that this group, <laughs> Ultimate Questions, the English one in my right hand, which is to your left. Ultimate Questions by John Blanchard. Ultima Preguntas. And if I can find Martha, please pray to that end that I do. She's here on the ground somewhere. I uh, haven't seen her since that first conversation I had with her. It was very brief. But she said, yes, I would like to know more. And I said, I think I have something here, Martha, but not today. Can, will I see you tomorrow? And she said, I'm here every day from 8 to 4. So pray that I would get this to Martha before I leave. How was it that I knew that Martha was a candidate for just a conversation that would lead to the gospel? Because when I said to her, good morning, she gave me that wonderful Mexican smile. Now, perhaps you wouldn't notice this, but what it said, what she said so much without saying anything, she said, I would like to say good morning back to you, but I don't speak your language. And I, I, I love, I love the, 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 the beauty of, of my countrymen in, in Mexico, the, where, wherein they say uh, with their eyes, or the, the cordiality, the friendliness, in a formal way, buenos dias. Jane and I were wa- walking the other day for our early morning walk. I remembered how it is that there are opportunities abound. As we were walking early in the morning, Richard, Richard came out. We haven't seen him for probably a year. But Richard came out. This is Richard. He says, my name is Richard, not Ricardo, because I am German. And uh, he's always about 80 years old. But that's the first thing. I guarantee if you met him today and I introduced you and I walked away, he would say, my name is Richard, not Ricardo, because I am German. He jokes a lot. But what he said as we were leaving, David, Jane, I haven't seen you for a long time. And we paused and we renewed our acquaintance and friendship. And he said, when will you come visit me? I'm lonely. And you know what I thought to myself? I'm busy. I mean, I, I didn't to him right then, but I think I'm, I'm busy. I'm so busy. I have this, that, and the other thing. And Richard is a neighbor three doors over, and he's 80 years old, and he feels that he has no one to visit him. And we said, Richard, we can't do it now, but as soon as we can, we'll swing by and spend an afternoon with you and visit with you. He said, I would like that very much. By the way, are you still playing the piano? Richard plays the piano. I mean, he really plays the piano. I said, I'm trying. And he goes, good, keep it up. Uh, we had him in our home. He played the piano for us one time. Uh, these, these opportunities abound and we need to be prepared. You need to be willing to be worn out in your witness. At his behest we're to give him no rest, but he will give us rest. And that's the key. As we, as we uh, uh, forge ahead, as, as we press ahead, as we press on to that high and heavenly calling, we need to be willing to, we're in this for life, and whether it be short or whether it be long, let's just commit to the fact that for all the tears and for all the times when we just feel that we've got to throw in the towel, I've been praying for this loved one or family member, this was our prayer circle this morning uh, before breakfast, for so many years, and I must admit that I've just kind of given up in prayer. Well, we need to be willing to be worn out as his witness. Jim Elliott. We know his testimony, and I, and I, won't, I don't have time to go through it here. But I found a quote in his uh, memoirs, the missionary uh, to the Indians in Ecuador, who was the witness in the martyr sense, the end, by uh, fighting a good fight and running the race to to its finish. 
And in his memoirs was the line, uh, in his diary, memoirs is nothing, and in his diary it said, Lord, take these idle sticks of my life and let them burn for thee. Consume my life, Lord, for it is thine. I desire not a long life on this earth, but a full life. That was a prayer of his to the Lord, which, which he wrote down and was recorded in posterity. And you know what the Lord said from heaven? I'm honored by that prayer. And I'm going to answer that prayer in the affirmative. We need to be uh, ready to be used and even worn out if he grants us long years uh, or, or short years. And uh, lastly, you need to be ready to be rejected. You need to be ready to be rejected. And it's pretty easy if there's rejection in a store where you're getting water bottles filled and you're talking to the guy behind the counter uh, who, who uh, seems interested and the guy behind you doesn't like at all what you're saying and just starts hurling all this abuse on you and rejects you and turns and leaves. That's fairly easy rejection, right? But when your friends, when your family members reject you because of the gospel, as Jack Miller says, and you can write this down, you need to love people enough to take the heat. You need to love people enough to take the heat. Be willing to be rejected. And to not fear man uh, in, in, in the sense uh, which is ungodly. To be loving and compassionate, yes. But to say what needs to be said and uh, to, to let all of the fallout from that come under the wonderful sovereign umbrella of God's shepherding providential care for you. So, you need to be prayerfully prepared you need to have a tool for those occasions when the Lord would give you that fish that's biting. You need to be a willing, you need to be willing to be worn out in witness, and you need to be ready to be rejected. Let's close. And again, we're going to have question and answers and prayer time. And uh, so we'll just break for the break. God bless you.